Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space in the world. I'm just going to add that. All right. So I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Chanella. And I'm MJ Peters. And MJ, I'm going to let you kick this episode off because we're kind of like, we're going to slice and dice a couple of marketing programs. And uh, you kind of had this whole thing set up. So I'm going to let you leave. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems that marketers face is that there's like an overwhelming amount of data on whether or not your marketing programs are working. And it's hard, I think, especially for a new marketer or probably a lot of people in our audience are people that are taking over marketing for the first time or becoming a one-person marketing department to figure out what you should measure and pay attention to and what you should ignore. And at the end of the day, like I think you really can only measure in a meaningful way like maybe five things. And I'm talking in a meaningful way where you like check in on these all the time and you use them to drive behavior. So in order to like help you sort through the chaos, I figured Matt and I could use our collective, I don't know, what do we have between us? Like brain power (laughs) (laughs) to, uh, to like talk about what we've measured in the past and like how to think about programs and whether they're working and not working. So um, we're going to like run through a couple of things that you might be doing in your marketing and then talk through what are the leading indicators that you can look at. So like the first things that'll happen when you start doing this stuff to know whether you're being effective or not and whether that's working with your particular market. So Matt and I have probably said on numerous occasions, like you got to measure revenue and pipeline, yep. but like revenue and pipeline, especially in industrial companies can take like 24 months to materialize. Right. So mm-hmm. what do you measure in the meantime? So that's, where we're going to get going with this. So actually, Matt, I'm going to kick it over to you for the first one, which is organic search. If you're doing stuff to improve your organic search, what should you be looking at? What are the one or two or three things you should be looking at to know if it's working? All right. So this is going to depend on your tool set. I'm going to assume most people on this show who listen to the show running marketing in an industrial company do not have a tool like Moz, SEMrush, or Ahrefs. So let's just let's just establish that going in. If you do have these tools, you're going to be doing a good amount of measuring of your keywords in those tools because you can. You can literally track your position and your performance over time. And so you would just do it a little differently because you just have more granular data to work with. Let's say, however, you don't have those tools, which has been was my career up until like this year, a year ago or so. Um, <laughs> You're looking, Google Analytics to me is going to be the most reliable source of your data. And what you'll notice if you, let's say you have a marketing automation tool like HubSpot. Um, HubSpot and Google Analytics are going to give you different data. Like it's not going to always sync up. And the reason is because they measure it differently. I don't know if it's because they sync it differently or or they consider things a little differently. I would because Google Analytics has long been considered the industry standard for website performance, uh, just default to that. And so what are the main things to look at within um, Google Analytics? Well, I think the first thing you're going to look for is traffic growth over time. And so you're going to look at things like new sessions, um, users, time on page, I think is a, is a big thing. And then uh, to me, one of the big things I always look at is pages per session. Um, and some of this is based on your website architecture because I have we have people I have clients who you know they have three to four pages per session and they tie five each other for it. But some of it is based on your website architecture. If you make your information so hard to find, where you have to literally keep drilling down to keep getting more info, 
you're skewing your numbers to have a higher pages per session. So look at your website architecture and figure out whether you know two pages per session is good for you, two and a half, three, or if you know if you have this architecture, you have to drill way down, and five is better for you. So um, I'm looking at, at time on page, and I'm looking at pages per session analytics. I'm looking at sessions, uh, average average session duration. I'm looking at sessions overall. I'm looking at um, users, new users, and returning users, obviously too. And then after analytics, the other thing I would highly suggest people use. I don't think enough marketers use this tool to evaluate their organic search. Google Search Console. If you don't have this connected to your website, do it. Google Search Console is the tool that's going to tell you which of your keywords you are ranking for and what traffic looks like. So let's say you're ranking for a head term, let's call it machining. And let's say they want to go after like long tail keywords, kind of longer tail keywords under that, like, you know, how to do this with machining or how to set up your tombstone for this kind of, you know, machine, uh, like machine and die tool. So Looking at Google Search Console is going to tell you not just what you're appearing for in search. It's going to tell you what position you are ranking for by and large. And it's also going to tell you your click-through rate on that term. So you want to look at what you're trying to rank for. You want to look at your impressions and your click-throughs. You also look at average position. And it's going to tell you where you have opportunity where you didn't think you did before. So that to me is a super useful tool to look at for your um, for your organic search to tell what you're ranking for, if it's the kind of keywords you want to rank for, and if not, which ones can you rank for that you have opportunity in front of you to uh, rank for. Yeah, I like where you went with some of those metrics like time on page and page per session, because I think a lot of people forget that the objective is not just to bring more organic search traffic to your site, it's to bring more relevant organic search traffic to your site. Like I could jack up the numbers on organic search really easily by writing about a bunch of stuff that gets searched a lot that is totally irrelevant to my business. But obviously, that wouldn't drive any revenue at the end of the day. Um, So I I have a couple of more things I'll throw out here, which is I like to think about it in terms of what you're actually doing to produce the result as well. So if you're doing a lot of technical SEO and you're doing a lot of link building, um, these are things that you know boost your authority in the search engine and thereby drive your ranking higher and get you more organic search traffic. So I would go back to what Matt is saying, like look at number of sessions, number of new sessions, filter it in Google Analytics by organic sessions only because um, you might be doing, well, some of your brand marketing might in fact be driving organic search traffic as well, but your brand marketing might also be driving direct traffic and you might have referral traffic and other sources. So you want to filter out some of that noise and look just at the organic stuff. However, I think... um, You can go one level deeper, especially if you are running a content-based SEO strategy. So if you're, you know, designing content pillars, you're writing new pillar pages, you're um, writing supporting content. And if all of this sounds um, complex to you, you can listen to one of our previous episodes called uh, Don't Offer Complicate Industrial SEO. But let's say you've listened to that episode and you're running that strategy. How I would measure that is look at let's say after 90 days, right? After these pages have been indexed and people have had a chance to find them, how are those pages performing against your expectations, right? So like look at historical page performance and benchmark it like that. Like let's say an average page on your site that, that you tried to do SEO on is getting like 300 sessions a month. Maybe you benchmark and say, all right, we want to 
we want to do better than average. So our new pages, we want them to hit like 450 a month after 90 days, right? And then you and then you look at the new stuff that you actually published, which speaks to what you're actually doing and seeing if it's hitting that benchmark and driving increased organic search traffic. The reason I would do that in addition to looking at the overall traffic increase is that sometimes the Google algorithm just changes. And sometimes that benefits you and sometimes it hurts you, right? So maybe you won't hit your overall organic search traffic percentage growth target, or maybe you'll far exceed it, but um, that has nothing to do with whether the new content you're producing to drive that result is actually driving the desired result. So you want to go one level deeper and understand um, whether the algorithm is driving the results. So one more thing I'll add on the technical side. Um, Obviously with the new core web vitals update from Google, your page speed and, and time to load is super imperative and important and a really easy way to rank better for your website. As long as your content strategy is sound and you're writing for the right things for your business is to simply make your website faster. So it's sometimes it's easier said than done based on the shape your website's in and the kind of CMS you're using. But, you know, using something like page speed insights from Google will give you a good starting point for like, why is my website so slow or ranking low? And, you know, you want to be, I think, obviously you want to be as high as possible, but how fast your website loads is, is a big thing when you're looking at technical SEO and you probably need to work with a developer to fix a lot of the things on your website if you are slow. But that's another thing to definitely monitor um, with your website if organic SEO is a big part of your strategy. Cool. So I want to do I want to address paid search quickly because we do did it. kind of expand on this in the previous episode. So if you want more on this, listen to the previous episode right before this one on paid search with Aaron Weeks. But um, paid search, I would say you want to bucket it two ways. First of all, custom conversions uh, in platforms. Set up custom conversions around um, high intent uh, conversions, right? So you want to set up a custom conversion for like when someone submits a request for quote form, right? And that's like, make it not that many, right? You probably don't have that many high intent conversion points. And what I mean by high intent is like when this person takes this action, does it have... um, does it signal that they have intent to like talk to a salesperson, right? So you mm-hmm. probably don't have that many of those. Maybe, maybe request a quote, maybe request a demo, but that's more common in software. Maybe like request a consultation or talk to sales, something like that. Set up custom conversion for that and then look at it by ad group. So you want your ad groups grouped by keywords that are all similar to one another. If they're not similar, if they're not, um, you know, synonymous, you want to put them in a different ad group and then just track on the ad group level, like how many custom conversions are you getting to understand what's driving the best results. Um, And then the other thing is like, look in your CRM, look at the people that came from paid search, what keyword did they, did they look, click on an ad from? And, um, you know, the best performing ad groups are going to show up again and again in those results. So I kind of want to leave it at that because we did expand on that in the last episode. And I'll kick it over to you, Matt, for paid Social, how do you know if you're paid social or working? All right, so paid social, I think part of it's going to depend on the channel that you're using. It's harder on Facebook, I think, to, to judge whether your ads are working than on LinkedIn. So let me just start with LinkedIn. So I'm assuming most people are willing to run LinkedIn ads to do content distribution, um, whether that's using case studies or product marketing or, or things of that nature. 
um, and not necessarily ebook downloads to, you know, to, to stack up MQL numbers. So I'm going to assume you're not running native lead gen forms on LinkedIn to get people to download an ebook. I'm going to assume that you're going to be running things to your website. Um, but part of it may be, you know, when you look at how people behave on social media now, so much of it is consuming content on the platform. And so one of the things I'm looking at, especially downstream, um, and especially after time, conversions. But I think one of the things big misses that people look at on LinkedIn is not separating out. And LinkedIn's one of the few platforms you can do this with view through conversions and click through conversions. And so it's really powerful because that's actually not going to show up in your CRM. And I learned this the hard way. View through conversions do not show up as paid social conversions on your on your C on your CRM. They show up as direct traffic, or they show up as they show up as direct traffic. Actually, is what they show up as from what from my experience. So when you get a so you need to actually look at your view through conversions because they're not going to show up in your CRM as a paid paid social lead. But you're going to have to triage a little bit like the day it happened with the lead itself and when they converted, and you can figure out like it's this guy, this person, or this woman translated or, or, or went in. So, so view through conversions are a big thing to make sure you measure. And I know you have a little story you're going to tell us on, on that MJ. Um, another thing is so much of it depends on the content that you're running. So if you're going to run like brand awareness ads on LinkedIn, you're looking a lot at consumption. So I'm not looking necessarily at cost per click, but I'm looking at like total number of clicks and who's like running through a carousel ad or who's actually viewing. One other thing I look at a lot is reach. So if I have an audience that's like 30,000 and I'm running this for a month, but my reach, I mean the number of unique people I, I in, in my audience who sees my ads is like 25% or lower than my audience, that tells me that my audience maybe isn't on that platform and I maybe should be testing other channels. Um, not everyone has the budget to test multiple channels at once, but really look hard at your reach versus your um, audience size to see if your audience is actually on LinkedIn. Frequency is another thing I look at a lot. If your audience is looking at your ad more than five times, if your frequency is higher than five, rotate content immediately. Um, the other thing I look at is obviously reach versus impressions, which is going to give you your frequency. So look at that a lot. And then if you're running videos, look at your view rate, look at your cost per view, look at views at 50, 25%, 100%. Um, and that's that's mostly what I'm the kind of things I look at. You look at the same things. I look at the same things by and large on Facebook as well. But LinkedIn, another thing I really like to look at is the demographics tab too. So you know you have when you're doing LinkedIn, one of the great things about that platform is the ability to see demographics of the people that you're running ads to. So let's say you're running an ad on LinkedIn and you have very funny kind of job titles that are in your ideal customer profile. So and I've done this with some with some of our clients where I'm running f job functions on top of company names or on top of very niche industries. And then I'm looking in the demographics tab and I'm seeing like, are these the job titles that match who necessarily we want to be in front of? And when they do, it's a good thing. And when they don't, I use that to call out people. So look at your demographics tab on LinkedIn because you could, you should be using that to exclude people all the time. Like I use it to exclude job titles out of almost all of my ads. Like we're running one, I'm helping one of our clients run demand gen and they do a lot of things around food production. And so we're targeting people in like, in like a product and in project management and in operations. 
but like customer customer support specialists are showing up in these and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, start excluding these job titles immediately from your thing so you can start to refine this list a lot. Because you have a 95,000 person audience. It's a pretty good size audience. And, you know, start cutting these things out. Get down to 70. Get the right 70,000 people in your audience. So that's one thing that I look at a lot when I'm, when I'm running paid social ads is demographic profiles, frequency, reach, especially reach against my audience size, and then um, looking at consumption metrics when I can. And also, obviously, conversions, starting with view through and then also looking at click conversions, too. Yeah, so I think when you think about measuring paid social, um, you've got the... Uh, the couple of questions you want to answer, right? So the first question is like, is this ad compelling people to stop and look at it and click it, right? And that's going to be click-through rate. And then, um, you know, stuff like frequency is a good measure of like, am I basically at this point annoying the people <laughs> in my audience? Um, so those are kind of some of the leading metrics that I look at. Is this ad causing people to go to my website or, under- or know my brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... We'll set up custom conversions on Facebook and LinkedIn, just like we do on Google. Yep. And so um, that'll be like, they'll offer you a 30 or a 90 day attribution window. And you'll say, um, you know, I want to see all the people that viewed this ad or clicked this ad and then um, convert it on that particular form on my website. And uh, Facebook will say it was this number of people. It won't tell you which people they were on my right. Google. Um, but it'll tell you it was, it was this number of people. Um, now iOS 14 came out in December, 2020, and, um, it's like a, it it has a lot of privacy updates and basically not letting Facebook track you around the internet, which I think most people are happy about. However, it does mean that these custom conversions like aren't firing the same way that they used to. So you can't get that, that level of attribution the way you used to be able to on Facebook, it hasn't really affected LinkedIn that much. Um, so uh, you can set up those to basically know if your ads are like causing the desired effect, right? So there, it's one thing to get someone to click. It's a whole nother thing to get them to move through a buying process to where they're ready to see a demo or request mm-hmm. pricing or, or what have you. And that's where the custom conversions come in. Um, interestingly, I think a lot of people believe that a click signals that your ad was effective. And uh, we actually did this this study at Refine Labs, like probably 12 months ago before iOS 14 came out. And uh, we actually found that 80% of people that end up converting on a demo forum have uh, have only seen the ad. They never clicked it. So what do you think um, that tells you? Well, in what fact, does that tell you? Um, People just are seeing the ad, right? It's this, the pure action of them seeing the ad in the feed is delivering your message. You don't actually need them to click for them to be aware of you and move through a buying process. Yeah. And so one of the things that tells me as someone who does a good amount of paid social ads, is like focus on getting your entire message communicated in the ad itself and, and don't worry about and, and bypass the landing page experience. I mean, don't go wrong. You have to have a good landing page experience. You should focus on that. But the bigger focus should be copy, headline, creative on your ad. If you can use those to communicate things. And this is what I always get to about being having your content focused on the channel. So like just because you make this amazing case study um, doesn't mean that everyone's going to click through and go read your case study. But sometimes it's more effective. And I've done this with one of my clients and it's really worked well. I took that whole case study and made a seven-slide carousel ad and just ran it and just communicated the whole case study in the carousel ad. 
and I got a ton of people clicking through and, and, and checking almost that entire, that entire story out, which I, I think is interesting. Another thing I think about when you talk about that study and the power of the view through conversions is it's just like television advertising in a way. Like you look at an ad on TV over and over and over and over again, and eventually you start to believe what they're saying and you start to kind of crave that thing, you know, like that happens with beer, beer ads, candy bar ads, um, TV, like, like cable TV or, or whatever it is, um, or Hulu, you know what I mean? And so you're trying to, in essence, do the same thing in B2B with your ads. So think about the power of that repetition. And then that obviously makes you have to reflect upon the message you're sending in those ads and thinking, is it compelling? Is it resonating? And is it creative? Right? So I, to me, to me, all those things are things that I'm considering when we're running, when, when I'm running paid social ads. Totally. Um, so I want to wrap up with one last play. Well, I want to ask which, you about it. Cause this is, this is kind of your deal. I got to yeah, go ask ahead. you, cause this is, this is you, you've done this way more than I have. All right. So I want to wrap up. I want to wrap up on PR because MJ has had great success doing PR in industrial and PR is probably even harder to measure than paid social. So, um, yeah. in fact, it is. Yeah. So, I want I want to ask you, as someone who's done PR in niche industries, um, how are you figuring out how successful that is or not? Yeah. So, like, I did this four month PR experiment in July of 2020. <laughs> July of 2020 to October 2020. Um, and the, the reason that I did it was not because I knew PR was going to work. Um, it was because I just took a bet on talent because, um, Adam Barber, uh, CEO of Tamarindo communications, just been on the show. <laughs> yep, he's been on the show. He's, he's just built a fantastic organization there that really gets content marketing. And, um, I figured, Hey, if this guy who seems to really get content marketing and seems to be totally aligned with everything I think about has decided that like PR is what he's going to build his life and his company around. Like there must be something here. Right. And so I just hired them to, for four months to like run it. Right. Let's see what happens. We can kill it if it doesn't work. Um, and I had no idea how to measure it going in, but uh, interestingly, and I, I don't Did know how helpful it is. Um, interestingly, we got a ton of inbounds, which were all attributed to organic search, I'm sure, or maybe direct search. Um, where people put in the in the message section of the forum, like, hi, I heard about your product on, uh, you know, uh, Renewable Energy Magazine or Renewable Energy Quarterly uh, website. And um, I didn't realize that we could prevent fires. My wind farm has had three fires in the last five years, and it's a terrible problem for us. I'm so happy to have found your product. Um, so uh, that's what I would refer to kind of in the category of manual attribution. But we just did this at Refine Labs. We just added a uh, form field to our website form that says, how'd you hear about us? And um, surprise, surprise, most people say LinkedIn or the podcast. Mm -hmm. A couple of people say um, referral from a friend. Um, but uh, it's a free form thing. And uh, most of those people that say referral, LinkedIn, or podcast actually get attributed by the software HubSpot as organic search or direct traffic. Yeah. So I think one of the things I take away from that, and I remember listening to Chris talk about that, is just, you know, attribution, automated attribution tools are inherently limited. And if you can accept that, and even more importantly, convince your executives of that, 
you know, you get to do the kind of marketing that's probably going to impact your business more. Um, it's just simply harder to measure. And that's why using those kinds of form fields to, you know, get that qualitative data is probably better off for you in the long run. So, um, yep. I think that's a really good place to end. Um, again, when you're doing these measurements, like we stress revenue and we stress pipeline, but we also recognize that it takes time to get to those points based on sales cycles. And frankly, based on the time it takes to build a sustainable marketing flywheel for yourself. So all of these things are different flywheels in and of themselves that you can build. So these are just simply us identifying leading indicators that you should be looking at and measuring and, and hoping and aiming to get positive momentum on with the confidence that it's going to lead down to those downstream business outcome metrics that you are likely are striving for. So, yep. When with- you hear you hear people say um, that there are clearly attributable channels and not clearly attributable channels, this is kind of the distinction that they're talking about. So, those first two channels we covered, organic search and paid search, are mm-hmm. what people refer to as clearly attributable channels, and they call them that because you can follow the trail of how the person found you and it's always going to be correct it has like a high degree of reliability where it's like if they searched you on organic search and found your blog post and then converted on your website the hubspot's going to pick that up right whereas on paid social maybe they saw the ad and then three days later on a different device that wasn't the same device they saw the ad on right saw the ad on their phone logged into their work computer and searched your brand name, that's also going to show up as organic search, which is what I mean by not attributable. Like the real result was not captured by attribution. So like Matt says, um, the the takeaway here is if you can get out of the trap of needing everything to be attributable, it opens up channels like paid social, like PR, like a podcast. YouTube advertising. If you talk on attribution, then you have to basically put all your eggs in the organic search and paid search basket. Basically, which is what a lot of a lot of industrial companies run because their executives want to want to attribute everything, and it's not always the best route for you. We didn't even talk about YouTube advertising either, but that's another one. Like you cannot, you will never, ever, ever get direct attribution from YouTube advertising. Period. But. Don't tell me there aren't a ton of brands who have successfully utilized YouTube advertising to grow their business a lot. It's just a matter of your mindset going into it. Totally. All right, let's wrap it up. Um, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Industrial Marketing Show. You can find us on Apple and Spotify and probably wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please uh, leave us a rating. Please leave us a written review. And uh, we will see you next week. With that, I'm MJ. And I'm Matt. Have a great rest of your day.